Yes, his name is to be exalted. I appreciated that devotional, thinking about God and his creation and all that he has done. You don't have to raise your hands or nod at all, but how many of you this morning would consider yourself a patient person? Not a patient in the hospital. I'm talking to someone who's patient. You have patience. Some of you are thinking, well, you're preaching this morning. We have no choice, but... uh, just in life, are you, would you consider yourself a patient person? And how does that look? And what are we waiting for? What are we being patient for? Maybe is a question. Turn in your Bibles to the book of James. And to get the context of all of this, I am actually going to go back and start reading at the beginning of chapter 4, although we're going to be looking at some verses in chapter 5, actually, but we'll start looking at chapter 4. And prior to this, James is writing about the dangers of the tongue and what we say and how we praise God and bless God and don't praise or say bad things about people. And it talks about some true and false wisdom then, and then we get into chapter 4, And I'll start reading there, and I'm going to read on down through uh, ways in chapter 5, and then we'll come back into chapter 5, but just to get the context. So, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, kill and desire to have, cannot obtain, ye fight and war, and ye have not, because ye ask not. You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain that the spirit dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, uh, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou be a judge of the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgeth another? Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will... Go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas of ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. But but now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. Go to now, ye rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them that have reaped are in, entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on the earth. You have been wanton, and you have nourished your hearts. As a day of slaughter, you have, you have condemned and killed the just 
He doeth not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receiveth the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction, of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is very pitiful of tender mercy. And I think I'll stop there for now. And let's go back to the beginning of the chapter. And you'll notice that verses 1 and 6 there uh, talk about men that have a lot of wealth or uh, and if you notice in that context, it's, it's more about, I would say, how they are using or how they got their wealth and how they have defrauded others than just the fact that they have wealth. Uh, I would say that in America, we are blessed with wealth and means. That's just the way it is. So if you look at the world as a whole, we have a lot. We have been blessed with a lot, if you want to call it that, I guess. I, we, that's what we say. And as uh, bringing it down even a little closer, we as Mennonites have been blessed with a lot of wealth. That doesn't mean that every Mennonite is wealthy, but as a whole, the last, I don't know how many years, the Mennonites have a, 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 a decent amount of means. And I think that what some of the reasons for that are, as a general rule, uh, we tend to be more honest in our business dealings. That doesn't mean that every Mennonite you deal with is going to be honest. You can come up with all kinds of stories. I get that. But as a general rule, I think as a general rule, we work hard. And we try to be good stewards, usually treating employees well and, and tend to help the needy, and I think maybe that's a lot of it. For many, many years, the Mennonites have been known to help people around the world and in their own circles and in their own and in this country as well by helping the needy. And so God has, has blessed that. And But we cannot forget in that, that it talks a little bit later here, we're going to look about the return of the Lord, that... Um, we, we never want to get, we never want to start depending on that and forget about the Lord is coming back. We cannot become dependent on that. And we all have that danger. I think oh, any of us can have a danger of doing that or we start to focus on our prosperity and not on what pleases God. And it is interesting, I do think, when we have a lot of wealth that we do need to be careful. It's interesting You've heard me say this before. I think there are two places in the New Testament where it specifically says that with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, one of them is directly tied to the virgin birth. With God, nothing shall be impossible. The other one is tied to rich people getting into heaven. So I hope that is not a comparison in the, the fact of how uh, rare or how hard it is. I don't think so. I think it's just basically saying that when we have means... We have wealth that um, we are to use it appropriately. And I would never want to stand up here and say, well, you know, having wealth and means is wrong. Because then we, uh, you know, kind of hear that sometimes. And then they go to the wealthy and the rich and beg for money for whatever they need. So 
It's not the point. The point is, it's an encouragement that we just we need to take care of what God has given us. One of the things in the our instruction class this morning, one of the lessons was stewardship, and we are to be good stewards of what God has blessed us with. And God has blessed some people greatly, and it's a blessing when you see them using that in God's kingdom in various ways. And so, but that's the beginning of this, and I think it does flow right into the context here because then he starts talking about being patient for the coming of the Lord, that we can't get our focus on, on what we have here in this life, but rather that we focus on the things to come. So in verses 7 through 9, I'll read those. It says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth on the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receives the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. I want to focus, first of all, on this idea of being patient. And there's some, uh, I looked up some definitions with it, and uh, I think it was Webster says, bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint. Oh, that's not always easy. But bearing pains and trials calmly or without complaint. Manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. Not hasty or impetuous. Steadfast despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. And able or willing to bear. Another definition that kind of wrapped that all up that I thought was interesting was able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. Doesn't sound like being at the airport and having your flight canceled, does it? Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without becoming annoyed or anxious. When I read that about the annoyed or anxious, I decided I'm not sure I have patience. I can get annoyed when things don't, you know. Um, fast food is supposed to be fast, right? Who wants to spend a half an hour at a McDonald's waiting on a burger? No, 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 no. We're not patient for that. We get annoyed. I'm not saying you should have to. I'm just saying we, it, it can bring out a little bit about us. It gives the example here of a farmer says he's waiting on uh, former and the latter rains. So as we think about this patience, and, I, and the idea here that in this message, the patient endurance, I want to encourage everyone today, and myself included, that we patiently endure until the end or until Christ returns. And it brings out Christ's return in here. I want to talk about that a little bit. But patiently waiting for that. And I believe the early church, especially at this time, and I'm sure James, was expecting the Lord's return soon. When he left and they saw him leave, and those men said, well, the angels said, hey, what are you standing here looking up? He's going to come back, and uh, okay, well, he'll be back soon. And a lot of people thought, they, a lot of those early Christians thought they were going to live to see it. And they didn't. But they needed to endure and so we think about this farmer uh, planting a seed, 
and waiting for the early and the latter rains. And in the month of June here, we weren't sure we'd get out either. And now we've been blessed with rain. And so uh, we, we wait for the rains to make the crops grow. We know a little something about that. We don't necessarily have early and latter rains like they, like they did in some climates and still do some places. But they waited for those rains in order to produce a crop. They patiently waited. I don't know of any crop that you can go out and plant, whether in your garden or in a field, and reap a harvest that afternoon or the next day. I, I don't know of anything. You plant a seed, and then you wait. And you wait. And we'd all think a farmer is a little bit crazy if he'd plant corn, and sometime about, I don't know, Mid-late June, he's, I mean, unless for some reason he desperately needs some feed for his cow. I mean, he's thinking, boy, I am just tired of waiting. I don't know if I'm ever going to get a crop. I think I'm just going to go out and combine this stuff and see if I get anything. He would be the talk. In this area, he would be the talk of the community. We'd all hear about it. And rightfully so. They wait. You wait and you wait and you wait until the harvest is ready. You can't reap it ahead of time you wait and it gives that example here that the farmer patiently waits until he gets the rain to make it happen and then it ripens and then it's ready and eventually now the one difference between that i thought about between a farmer planting his crops and a christian patiently waiting for either the return of the lord or when we go from this life to the next is we don't know when that is. You know, a farmer plants so many days corn, depending on what he wants or what time of the year he finally gets it in or whatever. And he knows just about, you know, you get so many heat units and that all depends on sun and heat and humidity, all those things. And then it's going to be ready. He can about predict when it's going to be ready by all of those inputs. None of us know the day nor the hour when the Lord is coming back or when our life will be taken from us and we will meet him. We don't know that. So we can't say, all right, got 118 days here and whatever. No. Now, sometimes people become very ill and maybe they know the time is very short, but they still don't know exactly when. But most of us, are patiently enduring, not knowing exactly when that time will come. Well, there's something that needs to happen during that time. And you'll notice in verse 8 it says, and you'll notice this word patience is used over and over here. It's about five times in this passage. Be also patient. Establish your hearts. My Bible has a little note there, strengthen your heart. But it has to do with establishing, like we establish something and make it firm. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It is coming sometime. But in the meantime, we are to establish our hearts. Now, I'd like for you to take your Bibles and, and walk with me through a few verses. I found it interesting when I started looking up some verses regarding establishing your hearts. Go to Romans chapter 16, verse 25 to start with. Now, this does not mean that we are to take um, our part out of this, but I found something very interesting about this. 
And by the way, that word in the Greek means to make stable, to place firmly, to set fast, or to fix. So in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, it says, Now to him, that is to God, that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel, that the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of mystery, which was kept secret uh, since the world began. And he goes on there, but notice... Now to him that is of the power to establish you. God has a great work in this establishing us and making us firm. Okay, it's not the only one. So we go on to uh, 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 13, it says, To the end, he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Again, it kind of ties the coming and our establishment, being established. Over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Um, and I think I went to the wrong chapter. Chapter 2, I was in, in the next chapter. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Over in chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And if we go on to 1 Peter, I would like to look at one more of these. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 10. 1 Peter 5.10, but, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you notice something about every one of those passages? It is God who is doing the establishing and setting us firm. Now, that doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. I believe to be established, we need to be in His Word and read His Word. Spend time in prayer through discipleship and through hearing the Word and through uh, communicating with brothers and sisters in the Lord that we can be established. But if we think we're going to be established on our own, we're wrong. It is God who does that. It's a work of God in our hearts through the things that we allow Him to do in our hearts Let's go back to the book of James, chapter 5. And as we think about this patient endurance, he gives us in verse 10 an example. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. Well, why did the prophets suffer affliction? It says... Uh, who have spoken in the name of the Lord. Well, they told the people what they were doing wrong, 
and how God viewed what was going on in Israel. The people didn't like it, and so they got persecuted. And if you turn back just a few pages in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about some of them. Let's go to verse uh, 36. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder. I believe that was one of the prophets. Were tempted, were slain with the sword, wandered around in sheep skins and goat skins, without being destitute, afflicted and tormented, on and on and on. And you go into chapter 12, it says, Wherefore, seeing we, have, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all those people that went through this stuff, let us lay aside every weight and sin which do us so easily beset us, and let us run with what? Patience. Again, we have the, the prophets for an example of continued endurance um, through all kinds of suffering and affliction. And yet it says, seeing this great cloud, all these people that have went through this, he says, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have there an example. Again, the prophets and those that are mentioned in, 1 Corinthians, or in uh, Hebrews 11 of those who endured and continued to press on and press on patiently waiting. He also gives us the example of Job. And I thought about Job a little bit like the farmer. Job did not know how things were going to turn out. We don't know how things are going to turn out always. But Job didn't give up. Job continued. He kept after it. He, he had a lot of questions. And finally God had to say, okay, what about this? And this 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 and on and on. And of course he had, and God got after his friends that so faithfully tried to discourage him and so forth and tell him where it was wrong. And, all, and so Job went all through this stuff. And yet, you know, it talks about Job's, it says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. So Job is an example of that, of what we can see. Now, as we think about being patient for something, flip back to Second uh, Thessalonians again. And we could look at a lot of verses on this. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. This is very close to where we were looking earlier. And it goes along with this passage in James. It says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Jesus himself and the Gospels talk about, be ready for such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. So, direct your hearts to the love of God as we patiently wait for the Lord. And I, again, you don't have to nod your heads, don't raise your hands. I guess if you want to, you can. But 
How many of you are being are struggling the most with your patience waiting for the Lord to come back? That's what he was kept telling them. You, you've got to be patient for the Lord's return. Be patient. Look at the prophets. Everything they endured, they were patient, and they, they, they stuck with it. Look at Job. He was patient. He stuck with it. Be patient. The Lord's going to come back. Be patient. I had to think about this for myself. Am I, if, if I struggle with patience and getting annoyed or anxious... Is it because I just don't understand why Jesus hasn't returned yet? Come on, come back, come back. Or is it because it takes too long at McDonald's to get a hamburger? Or something else is going on? You wonder why Hoover Automotive just can't get that car fixed for me and get it back to me. You know, I hear that and I understand it. I'd feel the same way if I was sometimes like, oh, I thought that was going to be done today. And I wonder, so is our focus is our focus where it needs to be? Is my focus, personally, am I focusing on where it needs to be? Am I going about allowing God to establish my heart firmly and fixed so that it does not get changed, it does not get moved, and I'm not talking about now about not getting moved in the right direction, but I'm talking about that it gets firmly fixed on trusting Jesus Christ and waiting for his return. Is that what's going on in my heart while I patiently wait for the Lord? Just can't wait for him to return. I wonder if if we would be really concerned this morning that the authorities find out we're here meeting that there's a good chance they're going to bust through the doors and throw us in prison and some of us would be killed, especially me if I'm up here actually talking and preaching. Or if you were to share the gospel with your neighbor that there's a good chance you're going to lose your head. Do you think you'd be a little bit more impatient that Jesus hasn't come back? Maybe there's a reason why, if you look in this, con- this whole context, that he challenges us on the things that we have because we can get pretty settled in here. Or the setting that we have, the fact that we have freedom of worship, we have all these things, we have a lot of things gone good, but then sometimes things don't go good. And are we, what are we patient for? We can get our focus off pretty quickly. We can become self-reliant instead of being patient. And here's what I, I wonder if sometimes for myself this isn't the problem. Instead of being patient and keeping our focus right on, the, on Jesus Christ and the fact that he's coming back. Remember it says that we run with patience, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. There's our focus. We become complacent. Are we complacent instead of patient? So I looked up the definition of complacency or being complacent. Marked by self-satisfaction, especially when accomplished or accompanied by unawareness or actual dangers or deficiencies. 
marked by complacency, self-satisfied. Let me read that again. Is that, do we have a tendency to become complacent rather than patient? Marked by self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness or actual dangers or deficiencies in our own lives. And so we just become complacent. And we just kind of roll along in life, complacent. Self-satisfied, not noticing the dangers around us that may be gnawing at our souls, our lives, or whatever. <clears throat> and then there's verse 9. And in case you think I picked this chapter because of verse 9, I didn't. It just happens to be in there. And so we're going to look at it a little bit. Why does he stick this verse? Why, why is this sentence in the middle of this whole thing? He's talking about patience, enduring, patiently waiting for the Lord to return. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. Well, do you think when we're not patiently focusing on the Lord's return, it's easier to focus on others? And then we get to grumble about this, and we grumble about that. Somebody's not doing this quite right. Somebody's not doing that quite right. And we grudge against others. It's interesting if you look up some of the other versions and how they word this, but it's basically just getting frustrated with other people, grudging about them. And then it says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. And when I read that, I got this picture of, a couple of children fussing about something, fighting about something. They think mom or dad is off somewhere else doing something, and they're, they're, they're not anywhere around. And so they're in the living room maybe battling over a toy or over, you, you know how it goes. Not, I know, your children are all perfect, so that never happens. But just in case, you know what I'm talking about. You can kind of picture it, right? And what the children don't realize is mom or dad is standing in the doorway watching. Just standing watching, or maybe around the corner of the door listening. And they don't know what's going on. They don't know that anybody's paying attention. Until all of a sudden, one of them figures out. And then one of two things happens. All of a sudden, oh, everything's fine. Okay, yeah, you can have the toy, whatever. Or, mommy, I, you know, so either we, so we can have that same tendency to sometimes either suddenly we recognize that God is watching. So either we quit or we start blaming. Well, God, you don't know what they did, that they said, what they You think if we would focus more on patiently enduring and waiting and just anticipating the return of the Lord. Because it says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Grudge not one another against your brethren. It says brethren. It doesn't say the neighbor who's a worldly person. It says brethren. It's talking to brethren. 
lest you be condemned, behold, the judge standeth at the door. It's plopped right in the middle of this whole context about patient and patiently enduring and looking for the return of the Lord. I also had to think about some times, and I don't know that I remember this so much in, in my home, and it wasn't because I didn't deserve it, believe you me, but I don't know that I, I, maybe it happened. I don't remember it as much, but um, when I say my home, I'm talking about growing up. But I know sometimes um, this is how it works. You, mom just can't get things under control, right? Or something happens. She says, well, you just wait till dad comes home and he's going to deal with this. And so at first that might sound a little scary. You know, the preacher gets up here and pounds the pulpit and shouts a little bit and says, just know the Lord's coming back and blah, blah, blah. And Ooh, it's kind of right. And you go out, you know, boy, I better live right. The Lord's come back. And then you get into the week and things are going along and you kind of forget about, yeah, yeah, well, whatever. Not patiently waiting for the return of the Lord. And get back into it. And I thought about that with this whole thing, the judge stand at the door. So do we sometimes get that way and we forget that dad's coming home and all of a sudden start looking at the clock or suddenly hear the car drive in? And think, boy, I wish I'd have been behaving. I should have been like an angel the rest of the day. And maybe, maybe it'd be okay now. And I'd... So, frustration can set in when we aren't looking at, for the right things, when we're not focused on the right things. And that doesn't mean that as a brotherhood and brethren, we don't challenge each other and, and help each other and, and help each other be discipled and give input in each other's lives. But I found it interesting that that is placed right there in the middle of this thing about patiently waiting for the Lord to return. And so that's what I want to encourage you on this morning, and myself as well, that, that if I deal with being impatient about anything, that it's the fact that and it doesn't say to be impatient about it, but if that's my struggle, that it would be on when is Jesus coming back? Jesus, come back. Okay, I'll be patient, Lord. I'll be patient. I'll wait. You know best. You're long-suffering. I'll wait. But, boy, it's hard to be patient to wait on the Lord to return. In the meantime, I'm going to focus on him, and I'm going to let him establish my heart so that when he comes and he's at the door, instead of being afraid that he's at the door, I will run to greet him and be glad that he's home and ready to take us with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you promise in your word that you will come and take us with you. Lord, help establish my heart firmly in your kingdom as I go through this life, help me to be patient with things here that I need to be patient with. And Lord, help me to anticipate your coming back. And Lord, I just pray that as a brotherhood, that that would be our focus, that we would focus on thinking about your return and your love for us. And if we go before you come again, Lord, that we would be ready to meet you and that we could forever live with you and love you and you love us. So, Lord, thank you for the brotherhood here, and help us, Lord, that we would just keep our focus on you. In Jesus' name I pray.